Good morning. It's good to be with you, even though it's not a very good morning for most of you, apparently. Um, I do want to encourage you uh, to be thinking about next week as we come into Celebration Sunday, uh, like Robin said, thinking about what um, God may lay on your heart, things that maybe a, a word of encouragement for the body or something that you saw God do over the past month or year or whatever that may be. Maybe it's a word of scripture that you would share with the family so that we could mutually encourage one another and grow in our love for Jesus. And so I want to get started this morning. Um, we're in a new series on Hebrews. Brad got that started last week. And I want to get started by reading our passage today. And what you'll see in this passage in Hebrews, it's kind of a long one, so I'm going to read a little bit. But in this first passage, you'll see there's, a, there's quite a few rhetorical questions comparing Jesus to angels. And like Brad shared last week, we don't know too much about the human author or the recipients of this book. Um, but we do know that the author um, was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to actually address human beings uh, and to reveal to us um, that Jesus is God and that he uh, alone is worth worshiping, that he alone is the one uh, that's worth giving our lives to follow, um, not, not angels or historical characters that we'll look at next week or religious practices that we'll see in this book or, or any other thing in the universe. That Jesus is actually the one worth worshiping. And Hebrews tells us over and over again that Jesus is greater than any other thing. And so we're going to be talking about that throughout the series. Um, but, um, but as we think about this idea with angels, we're really not sure how the importance of angels uh, became an issue in the church. Um, but to me, it's really not that surprising. Uh, we see this all the time, where people elevate or they get caught up in, in focusing on things that are actually lesser than God, worshiping creation other rather than the creator. Um, and so I think in some ways this happens often because in some ways it's kind of almost easier to quantify or to measure our lives by something rather than the true holiness of God himself. And so the writer here explains here why Jesus is actually greater than angels. And just a side note here, as we look at Hebrews and what it says about Jesus and angels, um, if you're in a conversation um, with a Jehovah Witness, this is a perfect passage to bring them to. Um, Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2. See, they believe that Jesus was just an angel, and so they believe him as God. Their whole religious is, religion is really based on Jesus um, not being God. Um, and rather, they see him as an angel who was, who was sent to teach us some moralistic principles to live your life by so that God will accept you someday by doing certain things and by doing good works. But what we see here in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2 is Jesus is not an angel. He's actually the Son of God. And he's actually then, because of that, he is worth worshiping. And we are not acceptable to God because of Jesus' work and because we, I'm sorry, we are acceptable to God because of Jesus' work, not because of what he taught and how we live those things out, not by any good deeds that we would do. And so I want to just, I said I was going to get started reading, but I just kind of got started somewhere else. Um, so Hebrews 1, um, starting in verse 5, and it should be on the screen behind me, or you can... Read it uh, in front of you there. So Hebrews 1, 5. 
For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking to angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Your scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with all the oils of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you have created the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that you do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how should we escape if we ignore such great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified it to, um, it to by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subject the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor, and put everything under their feet. Here am I, the children of God has given me. Since the children of flesh and blood... He has shared in their humanity, so by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those whose lives were held in slavery by their death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he has made them like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. All right. I know that was a lot, and there's a lot in there to cover, um, but I'm going to try to get some of that today. We're not going to be able to cover every little piece of it, but as we think about this passage, I want to also remind us of the previous verses in 1 through 5. In those verses, in the first two verses, the writer says that in the former times, Uh, God spoke through various ways, through prophets, and in these last days, he's now speaking through his son, namely Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews really starts this way because um, the writer wants us to know that Jesus is actually God's final decisive word to the world. Everything God has to say from here on into eternity, he says, in Jesus Any revelation, any word, any spoken word, any application of life is subject to the clarification through the words of Jesus' life revealed in the New Testament 
and revealed through history. So just be clear here, as, as we say the word, the word or use the, the term word here, word is not just some, some correct information that we store in our brains. Where we, we want to go and like, oh, we're going to access this information now. It's not like Siri where we just like plug it in and say, what's 25 times 342? Or like, who's going to win the Super Bowl next week, right? Siri will tell you that if you actually ask. Um, I don't know if she's right or not, but she says the Eagles are going to win. Um, <laughs> so I'm going with that, um, at least in, in my family. Um, this word, the word term, the term word here really is this idea where it carries authority and the definitive answers for all of life. Not for just some time period when the book of Hebrews was written, or to a specific people or place, um, but throughout all time, and not just on this planet, but in the entire universe. That his word actually carries weight and authority for all time, and all places. There's, there's, no, there's no discussion on the other, or the other side of the coin when it comes to Jesus' Jesus's words. And what we see here in the scriptures is that his words don't change over time. They don't change with, with, with cultures. They don't change with the circumstances around us. They're, they're, they're more than just information. These words are, are transformative that, that dictate everything and affect everything in life. And so I think one of the reasons why the, the writer starts with this idea of the spoken word by Jesus is because one of the conclusions people people have made over the years is what we see in, in chapter 2, verse 2, is that because angels actually prayed, played, man, my words are messed up this morning. I need some water or something. Um, have played a critical role in, in mediating the word of God in the Old Testament, then people will say, well, if, if God spoke through the angels in the Old Testament, and now he spoke through his son in the New Testament, the son must be a great angel. That is wrong. The writer stresses that, that Jesus is not just a big angel. He's actually the radiance and glory of God. Thank you, Sarah. I'll start over. So I'm going to talk about Hebrews today. Um, no. Uh, um, yeah. So Jesus is not just some big angel, right? He's actually the radiance and glory of God. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He is God the Son, and such angels should worship Him. And angels do His bidding. We see really, if you, if you go back to the very beginning of Scripture, the very beginning of God's story, you'll see where it really gets all askew is when, when humans actually listen to the words of angels over the words of God. They don't filter the words of angels through God's words. And death and brokenness enters the world. And so the writer of this book here begins by telling us that Jesus is the final word. Everything we see or hear or attempt to live in our lives needs to flow out of the filter of his words and his life. So he begins there and then, then he tells us why this is true and why Jesus is actually superior to angels and why he is actually the definitive word to live our lives by. So Hebrews starts with this statement and then it goes into really revealing why this statement is true. And it looks at this comparison basically of Jesus versus angels. And verse 3 kind of starts off, right, and it tells us 
that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God after he provided purification for sins through the death and resurrection. Verse 4 goes on and saying, says, Having become much better than angels, he's inherited a more excellent name than they have. So it says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and he has a better name than angels. So as we think about that, what is the more excellent name that he has that makes him superior to angels? What name is it that Christ actually inherited that shows that he's so much greater than angels? Well, I think as we think about this, we have to look back into really this idea and this context of history of when when a king was crowned, there was an acclamation or a declaration that now he's formally taking up his title and his inheritance, um, which has been his since birth, that this man was born into the kingly family, and now we're crowning him and we're declaring him as king. For example, if you think about this, um, there's kings around the world still. So in, in England, um, Prince Charles, from the day he was born, he was the son of Queen Elizabeth. And he's been, he's been in the line to be seated on the throne of England. Um, and when she dies, um, there will be a formal ceremony declaring him a new name. He'll have a new title and his inheritance as the king will be realized. Nothing will have changed in him. He has been uh, that. That's been that's been who he is since since birth. He's been her son. Um, he's been heir to the throne. But one day and one time, it will actually be declared in a new way that he will be king, as long as he outlives her. Right. Um, and so, so Jesus is actually sitting on the throne now. It says he's sitting on the right hand of God. And so he's, he's sitting on the throne he's as the king. So what is the name that was given that reveals that he's superior to angels? Verse 5 says it's son of God. Son of God. Hebrews says this, tells us this by really asking a question. For to which did the angels ever day say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be the son to me. This is actually a quote from Psalm chapter 2. There's quite a few Psalms actually quoted in this, in this passage. And we're going to kind of go back and forth there a little bit. But if you're following your readings, there's actually Psalms that you will read. I don't know if they all coincide completely. I don't, you'd have to ask Brad that. Um, he's smarter than I am putting those things together. So I don't know if he did that all or not. Um, but there's a quote here from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And it's a messianic psalm where, where God says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And so the writer is telling us, did God ever say those words to an angel? Did God ever say to an angel, you are my son? And the answer is no. So the superior name that Jesus has is actually son of God. In Romans 1, 4, Paul says the same thing. He says that Jesus was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. In Philippians 2, 9, it says this as well. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus has always been the Son of God. Just like he's always been the heir of all things from the very beginning. 
But when Jesus made the purification of sins and triumphed over death and triumphed over Satan, he was declared the Son of God and heirs of everything in a new way. You see, Jesus is the Son of God not only by his eternal birthright, but now because of his victory over sin and over death. Jesus is the Son of God in, in, in manifest power by his resurrection from the dead. And so the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is that God didn't say any such thing like this to any angel ever. If that even makes sense. No angel sits at the right hand of God as the Son of God in power reigning over all things. We have this little chart. Ellie, you can kind of start putting it up there as I reveal these things. Don't put all of it up, but maybe I'll just give away my whole sermon. Um, but um, on one side we have Jesus, on the other side we have angels. And so I want to just kind of like roll through some of the things that, that we see in this passage. So Jesus is actually the Son of God, right? Angels are not sons. Jesus is sitting, ruling at the right hand of God. And angels have no seat on the throne. The writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 6 and, and following and explains this point about what God said is about it says and says, He says, Let all the angels worship him. As we think about this, this is this is really a reference to the second coming, where just like in Philippians it says, All things in heaven and on earth um, and under the earth will be under, and all creations will worship him. So that means in heaven, angels, on earth, and humans, under the earth, demons, fallen angels, all creation, including angels, will worship Jesus. If we look at Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, we get just a little light into the picture of what the throne room of God looks like. And you know who's there? Angels. But they're not sitting on the throne. Rather, what they're doing is they actually surround the throne and they're worshiping all day long. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They repeat it all day, all night, for all eternity. They worship God over and over and over again. That's all they do all day. Worship of God is really one of the main roles that angels have. It's what they were created to do, just like you and I were created to do. We were created to worship God. The point here is not that, that Jesus is just the Son of God he's, he's, and that He's not an angel and that, that, that He's being worshipped. Um, the fact is that all angels worship Him, right? And, and now, really, this idea of worshiping Jesus is a huge issue, it's really what separates Christianity from every other religion. It's, it's different than any other religion in the world, um, both now and for, all, for whatever else people invent. The worship of Jesus, of God, is why the Jews were actually arresting and killing Christians back in the day. To them, it was an act of blasphemy. They didn't believe and they still don't believe that Jesus is actually God. Judaism, Islam, Jehovah Witnesses, whatever it is, all these religions say Jesus is not to be worshipped. And that's understandable unless Jesus is the Son of God, unless He is actually God. You see, the reason why we see Jesus worshipped by angels in verse 6 here is that He's not just like the Son of God. He's not, he's not a demigod. He's not, he's not like the Son of Zeus. He's worshipped here the, by the angels because He is actually the Son of God, 
in the sense that he's the full, he's, he's fully God, that God in, in fully part of the Godhead, that he's God's son sitting on the throne above all things. Verse 8 says that his throne will last forever. Verse 9 says he's been anointed with oil. That's really a, a reference here, I think, to, the, to, to, to David and the ceremony of, of what happens when one gets declared as a king. In verse 13, it says, All his enemies will be his footstool, footstool and he will have, basically he will have conquered everything and everyone. There, there's no one that can dispute his kingship. Other kings will come and go, but his kingdom remains forever and ever and ever. So Hebrews is telling us over and over and over again, Jesus is God. He's not an angel. He's not just a good teacher. He doesn't even just have some God DNA in him as the Son, making him like part God. No, Jesus is actually fully God, and he's to be worshipped as such. Really what's, what the author is doing here is he's screaming at us and he's saying, worship him, worship him, worship him. He is God. Jesus Christ is the center of the universe and he is God and he's king and he is to be worshiped. That's what he's telling us. And I think as we think about this, we really need to stop and ask the question, um, do, you, do I have that sense of awe and reverence in your life for Jesus? Do you worship him for who he truly is? Or is he just some like demigod alongside of the many other things in your life that you worship? Is he the one that is truly worth all of your worship? Or is he just a part of something? Maybe he's kind of cool, like angels are cool, because they're different than us and they fly around and stuff. Right? Like... The point of this chapter and the point of the whole Bible is is not just to reveal to us who Jesus is so that we would have some correct information. Rather, the purpose of reading this is is to just tell us who He is so that we would be passionately devoted to the glory and splendor of Jesus as the King, as the Ruler, as the Redeemer, as the Creator, as God, who we would worship Him alone and not worship anything else. Jesus is God, and that is who he is, and that is why we worship him. So the writer goes on here, and he reveals to us that, that who angels are really compared to Jesus as king. So if Jesus is king, verse 14 says this, says, they are, not, are they not ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So he's telling us, if you look on the comparison chart, Oh, we got it all up there now. It's all good. We'll get to it. Um, he's saying Jesus is king and they're servants. There's only one king, but there's many servants. They're the king's servants sent out to actually serve the church. So Jesus is king over the church and the church and the, and the angels do his bidding for him. John Piper says it this way. He always says it way better than I can. He says... God created angels that his son might be glorified and his people might be satisfied. Angels have this role towards Jesus and they have a role towards the people of God. Towards Jesus, their role is to worship. And towards the people of Jesus, their role is to serve and to help us actually reach a place where we would worship Jesus. 
I don't know exactly how that works out, how they serve in that role. But in some way, just like we, the church, are sent to participate in the work of God, what God is doing in the hearts of other humans, um, not because he needs us to do that um, or needs us to accomplish that work, but he calls us to serve as a means of grace to us so that we would actually see and understand more about who he is and how gracious he is. And somehow, angels are sent in that same way to us, the church, to participate in working and serving us um, so that, most likely, so that his glory and grace will be revealed to them even more. You see, I think oftentimes when we think about angels, when we think about humans, right, we think, well, they're so different than us, they must know everything already. Or they have a lot of these things figured out that we don't know. I think we don't realize that they actually need to learn about God as well. Remember, they are just created beings like you and me. They're not all-knowing. They're not like God. Their need of learning about God's infinite glory and about God's infinite gracious heart as well. And so in the same way they serve, God is revealed to them. Like when we serve, God is revealed to us. See, humans were created to serve God and angels were created to serve humans who were part of God's family. It's, it's the role that they have. It's one of the reasons why I think God says angels are lower than humans. So they're basically servants of humans. I think as I was thinking about this week, it's, it's so kind of crazy and twisted about how many people on this planet are, are so enamored by angels and have elevated them to the point of actually worshiping them. It's kind of like this idea of like, I don't know if you watched Downtown Abbey or whatever, but that shows, I think it's still on. I used to watch it, but haven't watched it in quite a few years. Um, but there's a I just lost my power. Okay, there's a chief butler, or basically the house steward. It's like him worshiping the gardener. Or the, or, or the housekeeper, um, or the, the, chief, the chief woman housekeeper, whatever her name is, I don't know. Um, it's like her worshiping the laundry maid. It's kind of foolish and silly. They're lower in a role than we have. I think it's why chapter 2 goes on and it it calls us to to remember the great salvation that we have, to not neglect our salvation because as verse 5 says, in coming in the world, it's not angels who have everything subjected to them. It's not angels who are going to have everything under their feet. It's not angels who are going to rule in the future but the people of God are going to rule alongside God in the future. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus actually tasted death already for humans. Verse 9 of chapter 2 says this, Jesus came and suffered and died, and that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, in other words, Jesus was the first man to actually be restored to the manifest or magnificent destiny and the promise of Psalm chapter 8. The writer of of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 8 here. And in verse 6, he talks about um, who angels are when they're compared to humans. Psalm 8 says this. It says, You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned them with glory and honor. 
And you've given them dominion over the works of your hands. And you've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the fields and the birds of heaven and the fish of the sea and whatever paths along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalm is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who was crowned with glory and honor over all creation. He's the one whose enemies are under his feet. See, but the good news of the gospel is that he doesn't enter glory just by himself. Verse 10 says he brings many sons to glory. Right? This great salvation that we have is that we now get to be united with Jesus. And we get to experience the fulfillment of Psalm 8 as rulers over the earth as well, alongside Jesus. Jesus is the great forerunner of our salvation. And what has happened to him will happen to us in all eternity. Because he tasted death for us, we can be sure that we will rule over all creation with him in the future. In Christ Jesus, all things will one day be put under our feet as the church. And we will rule with him in glory forever and ever and ever. See, the good news that Jesus is far superior to angels is not just some positional knowledge for us. The good news of Jesus' salvation is that he moves us from death to life, from slaves to sons and daughters, from subjects to rulers. Jesus breaks all the social barriers and moves us from from the form of servants, from, from living in servants' quarters to living in the home with him, with the full rights of all the inheritance, where one day all things will be put into subjection of God's redeemed people. That's really good news. It's why he is to be worshipped. We worship him not just because of what he can do and what he will do for us in the future and that he's powerful and that he's, and that he's gracious to us, but we worship him because of who he is, that Jesus is actually God, that he is a God that has extended mercy to his enemies, that he's restored humans to the role that they were designed to live within ruling over and making subject over all things in the earth. If you go back to Genesis, that was the role of humans at the very beginning. But because we listen to the words of angels over the words of God, all things were broken. We no longer rule over the things of this world. In many ways, the words of the angel define our story now. But because of Jesus, the family of God now get to be defined by the definitive words of God. Because his words are life and his words are greater than any other thing on this planet. Angels included. And he alone is the one that is worth worshiping. Maybe you've never thought about angels that much before. But my guess is that you've thought about other things that are worth worshiping more than him. Because I know I do it all the time. All throughout the day, I need to be reminded that I am not worshiping God for who he is. I'm worshiping something else to provide something that only God can provide. And I want to just 
ask you this morning, as you think about this, what are areas in your life where you're still hanging out and worshiping something else? Where you still want to be in control? Where you still think this other thing is better than Jesus? Would you give that to Him? Jesus is better. Would you worship Him today? Would you give all areas of your life to worship Him today? Maybe you've never even thought about worshiping Jesus before and this whole idea is new to you. Can I tell you, whatever you are thinking about, whatever you're trying to place your trust or your life in, it's going to fail you because it's not as great as Jesus. Maybe you've, you've come to the point point you said, Jesus, I need you to be life for me, but I still want to hold on to these other things. Would you search your heart as we go to communion and think about what are areas of your life that, we actually, that you need to confess and turn over to Jesus that you would actually worship Him rather than those things? Because Hebrews is screaming at us. It's going to tell us over and over again. Jesus is far superior. He's greater than anything on this planet. Anything that we think is cool or even things that are, that are bigger than what we can think or imagine. Jesus is greater than them. He's the creator of all of those things. Don't worship those things. Worship Jesus today. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus was not just another human. We thank you that Jesus was not an angel. We thank you that you actually sent your Son, fully God, to become fully human so that he might be the sufficient sacrifice to restore our relationship with you. To correct the words that we have had spoken over us for so many years. To have our lives now be defined by the words of God rather than the words of angels and the words of men. Father, I confess that I often worship things other than you that there's many areas of my life that I am in need of being reminded that you are greater. Father, I pray as a family that you would daily remind us of those truths, that you are greater than anything else around. Father, we'll be a people that live that out in the city. Would you make us servants of you that worship you and point people to worship you, not us or anything else? Father, we thank you that we get to participate in serving you. Father, pray that you would give us more opportunities to do that and that you would reveal more of your grace to us as we get to serve you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is fully God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.